Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the reading of the New York Times for Wednesday, May the 31st, the last day of May, 2023. As a reminder, Radio Eye is a reading service intended for people who are blind or have other disabilities that make it difficult to read printed material. New York Times is donated to Radio Eye by the Lexington Herald Leader. Your reader for today is Mary Sue Hoskins. We'll start today's reading with the Merriam-Webster Word of the Day. Today's word is enthrall. Enthrall means to hold the attention of someone by being very exciting, interesting, or beautiful. Or in other words, to charm. It is often used in its past participle form, as in, I was enthralled by the beauty of the landscape. Here's the, another example of the use of the word enthrall, this in a complete sentence. A captivating take on the human experience, the movie has enthralled audiences across the country. Today's word is enthrall. Now we'll go to the front page of today's New York Times. These are the articles on the front page. Drone strike in Moscow brings Ukraine war home to Russians. Companies push prices higher, protecting profits but adding to inflation. GOP revolts over debt limit deal as bill moves toward a House vote. AI poses risk of extinction, industry leaders warn. Testing New York apartments. How dirty is that gas stove, really? This is a reminder of the chaos that is now a regular part of GOP politics. Our correspondent on the drone strikes in Moscow and Kiev, and more stories. Fake signals and American insurance, how a dark fleet moves Russian oil. Russian officials accuse West of tacit support for Moscow drone attack. And finally, James Beard Foundation, whose awards honor chefs is now investigating them. Pushes. A British reporter had a big hashtag Me Too scoop. Her editor killed it. So now let us go to the lead article. Drone strike in Moscow brings Ukraine war home to Russians. At least eight drones were intercepted, the Kremlin said, but the foray raised questions about Russian air defenses. A barrage of attack drones were downed over Moscow on Tuesday. The first time civilian areas of the Russian capital have been touched directly by the Ukrainian conflict and a signal that a distant war may soon begin to feel somewhat less so for ordinary Russians. The physical damage was minimal, 
limited to shattered apartment windows and some minor injuries in an upscale neighborhood, but the psychological impact may prove far bigger for a citizenry that to date has been able to go about daily life with little thought for the bloodshed taking place over the border. If the goal was to stress the population, then the very fact that drones have appeared in the skies over Moscow has contributed to that, wrote one pro-war Russian blogger, Mikhail Zvinchuk, who posts under the name Rybar. The drones, numbering at least eight, came as Russia has been engaged in a particularly sustained aerial assault on Ukraine's own capital, Kiev. And while President Vladimir V. Putin blamed Ukraine for what he branded terrorist activity, no one was killed in Moscow on Tuesday. The same could not be said for Kiev, where one person died in the Russian attacks. Mikhailo Bodoyak, an advisor to President Volodymyr Zelensky, said Ukraine had not been directly involved in the attack, but was happy to watch the events taking place across the border. A spokesman for its Air Force, which typically maintains a policy of strategic ambiguity over attacks on Russian soil, declined to comment. Russian officials and Ukrainian allies alike appeared to be choosing their words carefully in responding to the attack. While the United States has flooded Ukraine with military equipment since the war began in February 2022, American officials have made clear that they do not want it used to hit Russian territory lest the conflict escalate. On Tuesday, they appeared to hedge that position a bit. The State Department and the National Security Council both issued statements saying that the United States does not support strikes inside Russia as a general matter, but noting that Tuesday marked the 17th time this month that Russia had struck Kiev. Britain, another Ukrainian ally, went further. Its foreign minister, James Cleverly, said that Ukraine had the right to project force beyond its borders to undermine Russian attacks and that military targets beyond a nation's borders are internationally recognized as being legitimate as part of a nation's self-defense. Mr. Cleverly said that he did not have details about the drone attacks and was speaking more generally. In Moscow, where the drone incursion raised questions about Russian air defenses, Kremlin officials sought to dismiss the seriousness of the attack, even while suggesting it would lead to changes. It's clear what needs to be done to increase the density of the capital's air defense system, said Mr. Putin, and we will do just that. Still, a ruling party lawmaker, Andrei Gurulev, said people in the city center of Moscow were more likely to be hit by an electric scooter than by a drone. We didn't do too badly today, he told state news media. The Russian defense ministry said that five of the drones had been shot down and that three had their signals jammed electronically. When Russia launched its full-scale invasion of Ukraine last year, after seizing territory there in 2014, it was expected to win quickly and decisively. Instead, the Ukrainian military made Russia fight for every inch. 
Now, more than a year after Russian tanks rolled into Ukraine, a series of embarrassing attacks on Russian soil have shown that even at home, the Russians can be vulnerable. Ukraine has staged a brazen drone assault on military air bases deep inside Russia. A drone also hit an oil facility near an airfield in the Russian province of Kursk. And earlier this month, drones exploded over the Kremlin, an assault that U.S. officials said was most likely carried out by one of Kiev's special military or intelligence units. And just last week, a cross-border assault in southern Russia by anti-Kremlin fighters stretched over the course of two days, potentially opening up a new set of battlefield problems. A similar attack was reported on Tuesday. Russia is vulnerable to drone attacks in part because of its size. The border with Ukraine is more than 1,400 miles, but also because its air defense radars are designed to detect aircraft and missiles bigger than drones, said Sam Bendet, an advisor on Russian studies at CNA, a nonprofit research organization based in Virginia. Apart from creating a sense of vulnerability in Russia, he said, Ukrainian drone attacks might serve to test Moscow's air defense systems and identify potential weaknesses that could be exploited in other attacks. Part of the challenge for Russia has been adapting the complex air defense system that encircles Moscow to the threats of a new era. Previously, air defense systems near cities would tune out anything smaller than a helicopter, said Ian Williams of the Missile Defense Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, a Washington think tank. Small drones may have a radar return the size of a goose, so if you tune your radars to look for enemy drones, you will also see a lot of birds. Still, it is unconfirmed that Ukraine was behind Tuesday's attack, and big questions remain about Ukraine's drone capabilities. Last fall, Ukraine's state-owned weapons maker, Ukroboronprom, said it was close to developing a drone that could carry a 165-pound warhead more than 600 miles, putting Moscow well within range and that it had completed tests of the weapon. But Ukraine has not announced the use of such a long-range drone in combat. And on Tuesday, U.S. defense officials said the next round of weapons sent to Ukraine would include missiles for the Patriot air defense system and more rockets for the HIMARS mobile system, HIMARS mobile system. The $300 million military aid package could be announced as soon as Wednesday. On Tuesday, the head of the powerful Russian mercenary group, Wagner, Eugeny V. Prigozhin, said the attack highlighted Russia's technological lag in drone warfare and renewed his tirade against Russian military officials whom he has long accused of incompetence. What should common people do when explosive-laden drones are crashing into their windows, he said in an audio message posted on Telegram, adding, 
The people have full right to ask them these questions. Mr. Pergosian noted that some of the drones crashed in the neighborhoods of Russian political and military elites. Let your homes burn, he said, referring to military and political elites. Igor Gherkin, a former paramilitary leader who had long called for an escalation of the war in Ukraine, said on Telegram, The strength of the psychological blow caused by the drone attack on Moscow is not in the scale of destruction, but in the fact that the nation's leadership has promised us not a war, but a special military operation. Instead of an honest conversation with a nation, we get blurry consolations about Napoleon's conquest of Moscow. Don't worry, everything is going to plan, he said. What is the real plan then? Tatiana Stanavia, a Russian political scientist based in Paris, said that a lack of wartime leadership under Mr. Putin was becoming glaring. Everything is built on his often voiced idea of a patient nation that understands everything and will endure anything, she wrote on Telegram on Tuesday. Let's see. In Ukraine, where incoming drones and missiles are commonplace, some looked at what was happening in Moscow with grim satisfaction. It is great that they can feel what we feel every day here, said Samir Mehmedov, 32, an account manager in Kiev, who has had to take shelter in a subway station during Russian attacks this week. Another Kiev resident, Yulia Honcharova, said she had mixed feelings. I'm not among those who believe that we should bomb their residential quarters at night, she said, but I do want them to feel what it is like to live under constant alarms, like people live in Kiev, Kharkiv, Dnipro. We'll move across the front page to the next article. Companies push prices higher, protecting profits but adding to inflation. Corporate profits have been bolstered by higher prices, even as some of the costs of doing business have fallen in recent months. The prices of oil, transportation, food ingredients, and other raw materials have fallen in recent months as the shocks stemming from the pandemic and the war in Ukraine have faded. Yet many big businesses have continued raising prices at a rapid clip. Some of the world's biggest companies have said they do not plan to change course and will continue increasing prices or keep them at elevated levels for the foreseeable future. That strategy has cushioned corporate profits, and it could keep inflation robust, contributing to the very pressures used to justify surging prices. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VTW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. As a result, some economists warn. Policymakers at the Federal Reserve may feel compelled to keep raising interest rates or at least not lower them, increasing the likelihood and severity of an economic turndown. Companies are not just maintaining margins, not just passing on cost increases. They have used it as a cover to expand margins, said Albert Edwards, a global strategist at Societe Generale, referring to profit margins a measure of how much businesses earn from every dollar of sales. PepsiCo has become a prime example of how large corporations have countered increased costs, and then some. Hugh Johnston, the company's chief financial officer, said in February that PepsiCo had raised its prices by enough to buffer further cost pressures in 2023. At the end of April, the company reported that it had raised the average price across its snacks and beverages by 16% in the first three months of the year. That added to a similar price increase in the fourth quarter of 2022 and increased its profit margin. I don't think our margins are going to deteriorate at all, Mr. Johnston said in a recent interview with Bloomberg TV. In fact, What we've said for the year is we'll be at least even with 2022 and may, in fact, increase margins during the course of the year. The bags of Doritos, cartons of Tropicana orange juice, and bottles of Gatorade sold by PepsiCo are now substantially pricier. Customers have grumbled, but they have largely kept buying. Shareholders have cheered. PepsiCo declined to comment. Other companies that sell consumer goods have also done well while continuing to raise prices. The average company in the S&P 500 stock index increased its net profit margin from the end of last year, according to FactSet, a data and research firm, countering the expectations of Wall Street analysts that profit margins would decline slightly. And while margins are below their peak in 2021, analysts forecast that they will keep expanding in the second half of the year. For much of the past two years, most companies had a perfectly good excuse to go ahead and raise prices, said Samuel Rines, an economist and the managing director of Corbu, a research firm that serves hedge funds and other investors. Everybody knew that the war in Ukraine was inflationary, that grain prices were going up, blah, blah, blah. And they just took advantage of that. But those go-to rationales for elevating prices, he added, are now receding. The producer price index, which measures the prices that businesses pay for goods and services before they are sold to consumers, reached a high of 11.7% last spring. That rate plunged to 2.3% for the 12 months through April. The consumer price index which tracks the prices of household expenditures on everything from eggs to rent, 
has also been falling, but at a much slower rate. In April, it dropped to 4.93% from a high of 9.06% in June 2022. The price of carbonated drinks rose nearly 12% in April from 12 months earlier. Inflation is going to stay much higher than it needs to be because companies are being greedy, Mr. Edwards of Societe Generale said. But analysts who distrust that explanation said there were other reasons consumer prices remained high. Since inflation spiked in the spring of 2021, some economists have made the case that as households emerged from the pandemic, Demand for goods and services, whether garage doors or cruise trips, was left unsated because of lockdowns and constrained supply chains, driving prices higher. David Beckworth, a senior research fellow at the right-leaning Mercatus Center at George Mason University and a former economist for the Treasury Department, said he was skeptical that the rapid pace of price increases was profit-led. Corporations had some degree of cover for raising prices as consumers were peppered with news about imbalances in the economy. Yet Mr. Beckworth and others contend that those higher prices wouldn't have been possible if people weren't willing or able to spend more. In this analysis, Stimulus payments from the government, investment gains, pay raises, and the financing of mortgages at very low interest rates play a larger role in higher prices than corporate profit seeking. It seems to me that many telling the profit story forget that households have to actually spend money for the story to hold, Mr. Beckworth said. And once you look at the huge surge in spending, it becomes inescapable to me where the causality lies. Mr. Edwards acknowledged that government stimulus measures during the pandemic had an effect. In his eyes, this aid meant that average consumers weren't beaten up enough financially to resist higher prices that might otherwise make them flinch. And, he added, this dynamic also put the weight of inflation on poorer households, while richer ones won't feel it as much. The top 20% of households by income typically account for about 40% of total consumer spending. Overall, spending on recreational experiences and luxuries appears to have peaked, according to credit card data, from large banks, but remains robust enough for firms to keep charging more. Major cruise lines, including Royal Caribbean, have continued lifting prices as demand for cruises has increased going into the summer. Many people who are not at the top of the income bracket have had to trade down to cheaper products. As a result, several companies that cater to a broad customer base have fared better than expected as well. McDonald's reported that its sales increased by an average of 12.6% per store for the three months through March, compared with a year earlier. About 4.2% of that growth came from increased traffic 
and 8.4% from higher menu prices. The company attributed the recent menu price increases to higher expenses for labor, transportation, and meat. Several consumer groups have responded by pointing out that recent upticks in the cost of transportation and labor have eased. A representative for McDonald's said in an email that the company's strong results were not just a result of price increases, but also strong consumer demand for McDonald's around the world. Other corporations have found that fewer sales at higher prices have still helped them earn bigger profits, a dynamic that Mr. Rines of Corbu has coined price over volume. Colgate Palmolive, which in addition to commanding a roughly 40% share of the global toothpaste market, sells kitchen soap and other goods, had a standout first quarter. Its operating profit for the year through March rose 6% from a year earlier, the result of a 12% increase in prices, even as volume declined by 2%. The recent bonanza of corporate profits, however, may soon start to fizzle. Research from Glenmead Investment Management indicates there are signs that more consumers are cutting back on pricier purchases. The financial services firm estimates that households in the bottom fourth by income will exhaust whatever it collectively le- is collectively left of their pandemic-era savings sometime this summer. Some companies are beginning to find resistance from more price-sensitive customers. Dollar Tree reported rising sales but falling margins, as lower-income customers who tend to shop there searched for deals. Shares in the company plunged on Thursday as it cut back its profit expectations for the rest of the year. Even PepsiCo and McDonald's have recently taken hits to their share prices as traders fear that they may not be able to keep increasing their profits. For now, though, investors appear to be relieved that corporations did as well as they did in the first quarter, which has helped keep stock prices from falling broadly. Before large companies began reporting how they did in the first three months of the year, the consensus among analysts was that earnings at companies in the S&P 500 would fall roughly 7% from a year earlier. Instead, according to data from FactSet, earnings are expected to have fallen around 2% once all the results are in. Savita Subramanian, the head of U.S. Equity and Quantitative Strategy at Bank of America, wrote in a note that the latest quarterly reports once again showed corporate America's ability to preserve margins. Her team raised overall earnings growth expectations for the rest of the year and 2024. And now... On to the next article on the front page of today's New York Times. The title of this one is, GOP revolts over debt limit deal as bill moves toward a House vote. Despite growing Republican opposition, a key committee voted to move the bill forward to the House floor. A bipartisan deal to suspend the federal debt ceiling advanced on Tuesday night toward a climatic House vote 
despite a rebellion by hard-right Republicans who said the party was squandering a chance to force fundamental changes in government spending. In the legislation's first test, the House Rules Committee voted to clear the way for debate on the plan to be held Wednesday. Seven Republicans voted to send the measure on, while two others joined with Democrats to oppose doing so. Not one Republican should vote for this bill, Representative Chip Roy, a Texas Republican and influential member of the ultra-conservative House Freedom Caucus, said hours before the committee vote. We will continue to fight it today, tomorrow, and no matter what happens, there's going to be a reckoning about what just occurred unless we stop this bill by tomorrow. Mr. Roy and Representative Ralph Norman of South Carolina, another ultra-conservative member of the panel, broke with their party to oppose allowing the plan to be considered. But a third right-wing Republican on the committee, Representative Thomas Massey of Kentucky, voted to move it to the floor despite some misgivings. It was a boost to Speaker Kevin McCarthy's effort to push through the agreement that he hammered out with President Biden in days of difficult talks and which must pass the House and clear the Senate by Monday to be enacted in time to avert a default. The compromise has drawn the ire of right-wing Republicans leaving open the possibility that its passage could jeopardize Mr. McCarthy's standing on Capitol Hill, where any one lawmaker has the power to call a snap vote to oust him thanks to a rule Mr. McCarthy agreed to while he was grasping for support from the far right to be elected speaker in January. Some prominent conservatives said a challenge to his leadership now would be premature, but one member of the ultra-conservative Freedom Caucus, Representative Dan Bishop of North Carolina, said on Tuesday that he considered the debt and spending deal grounds for ousting Mr. McCarthy from his post. I'm fed up with the lies. I'm fed up with the lack of courage, the cowardice, Mr. Bishop said, adding later of Mr. McCarthy's negotiations on the limit bill, nobody could have done a worse job. Despite the outcry, Mr. McCarthy continued to express optimism that the legislation would pass, shrugging off criticism and dismissing any concern for his own survival with a terse no during brief comments at the Capitol. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm confident we'll pass the bill, Mr. McCarthy told reporters. Ticking off what he described as major savings in the package, he added, If people are against saving all that money or work reforms in welfare reform, I can't do anything about that. With some Republicans in an uproar as more details of the compromise trickled out, the Biden administration was treading carefully, hailing the agreement as a good one, while emphasizing that neither side emerged with an overwhelming victory over the other. We are in a divided government, said Shalonda Young, the White House budget director, who was a chief negotiator of the package. This is what happens in divided government. They get to have an opinion, and we get to have an opinion, and all things equal, I think this compromise agreement is reasonable for both sides. Even as Mr. McCarthy battled to line up support, new details of the deal were emerging that threatened to further undermine GOP support. The Congressional Budget Office estimated on Tuesday that the package would reduce the accumulation of debt by about $1.5 trillion over the course of a decade, largely by cutting and capping certain discretionary spending for two years. It also set a series of changes in work requirements for food stamp eligibility, tightening them for some adults but loosening them for others, including veterans, who would actually increase federal spending on the program by $2 billion. While Republicans demanded stricter work requirements to be a part of the compromise, the White House bargained to lessen the impact, and the Budget Office estimated that overall, the deal would increase the ranks of the program, making an additional 78,000 people eligible for nutrition assistance. Even after avoiding a blockade by his own party in the Rules Committee, Mr. McCarthy was still facing a steep challenge in rounding up the 218 votes needed to pass the plan on the floor. Republican opposition was coming from beyond the most conservative wing of the party, including from some members seen as closely aligned with the Speaker. The concessions made by the Speaker in his negotiations with President Biden fall far short of my expectations and the expectations of my friends and neighbors in Congressional District 38, Representative Wesley Hunt, a first-term Republican from Texas who backed Mr. McCarthy in the Speaker's fight, wrote on Twitter on Tuesday. The backlash to the plan from the right appeared to be fueled in part by mounting public opposition from conservative advocacy groups with strong ties to Republican lawmakers, including the Heritage Foundation, the Club for Growth, and Freedom Works. The groups were promising to include the vote in their ratings of lawmakers, effectively threatening to downgrade anyone who supported it. The legislation does not meet the moment, and I urge House Republicans to reconsider their support and take a stand to stop reckless spending, said Adam Brandon, the president of Freedom Works. With Republicans experiencing ample defections, Representative Hakeem Jeffries, the New York Democrat and minority leader, warned 
that they would still have to deliver a significant number of votes in support. Initially, we heard that 95% of the House Republican Conference would support the agreement, said Mr. Jeffries, alluding to a comment Mr. McCarthy made after briefing his rank and file about the deal. That doesn't appear to be the case. But what we are also committed to making sure occurs is that the House Republicans keep their promise to produce at least 150 votes. As for where Democrats stood, Representative Pramila Jayapal, Democrat of Washington and chairwoman of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, said the group was polling its members to decide whether to take an official position on the bill. She said the legislation included provisions that she and her members were extremely concerned about, including restrictions on nutritional assistance programs and the green lighting of the Mountain Valley Pipeline, but did not vow to oppose it. The bill was finalized on Sunday after Mr. Biden and Mr. McCarthy sealed their deal, and aides rushed to draft it into legislation that will have to be considered swiftly to avoid a default as soon as June the 5th, when Treasury Secretary Janet L. Yellen has estimated the federal government will run out of cash to pay its bills without action by Congress. The rules panel was just one of the hurdles the legislation will have to clear in what is likely to be a nearly week-long push to passage before next Monday. With dozens of Republicans declaring their opposition, the bill will need a combination of Republican and Democratic votes to pass the House. It would then head to the Senate, where conservative Republicans are also unhappy with the framework and can, at minimum, slow its passage with procedural tactics. Conservatives have been sold out once again, Senator Rand Paul, a Kentucky Republican who has been known to throw up procedural obstacles to legislation in the past, declared on Twitter. As senators sifted through the legislation, there was growing unease among Republican senators that the level of Pentagon spending was too low, according to an aide who insisted on anonymity to discuss private conversations and who said the reservations did not appear to be enough to derail the bill with a default looming. Mr. Biden sought to relieve concerns about military spending on Monday, telling reporters at the White House that, obviously, if there's any existential need for additional funding, I have no doubt we'll be able to get it. He remained confident the legislation would be approved before a default. There is no reason it shouldn't get done by the 5th, he said. I'm confident that we'll get a vote in both houses, and we'll see. But the outcry from the House conservatives was looming as a threat to the package if it stirred other factions among House Republicans to join in. Absolutely and completely unacceptable, said Representative Scott Perry, Republican of Pennsylvania and the chairman of the Freedom Caucus, in describing the legislation. Trillions and trillions of dollars in debt for crumbs, for a pittance. And now to the next article. AI poses risks of extinction, industry leaders warn. Leaders from OpenAI, Google DeepMind, 
Anthropic, and other AI labs warn that future systems could be as deadly as pandemics and nuclear weapons. A group of industry leaders warned on Tuesday that the artificial intelligence technology they were building might one day pose an existential threat to humanity and should be considered a societal risk on a par with pandemics and nuclear wars. Mitigating the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority alongside other societal scale risks, such as pandemics and nuclear war, reads a one-sentence statement released by the Center for AI Safety, a nonprofit organization. The open letter was signed by more than 350 executives, researchers, and engineers working in AI. The signatories included top executives from three of the leading AI companies. Sam Altman, chief executive of OpenAI. Dennis Hazabis, chief executive of Google DeepMind. And Dario Amodai, chief executive of Anthropic. Jeffrey Hinton and Yeshua Benjo, two of the three researchers who won a Turing Award for their pioneering work on neural networks and are often considered godfathers of the modern AI movement, signed the statement, as did other prominent researchers in the field. The third Turing Award winner, Jan LeCun, who leads Meta's AI research efforts, had not signed as of Tuesday. The statement comes at a time of growing concern about the potential harms of artificial intelligence. Recent advancements in so-called large language models, the type of AI system used by ChatGPT and other chatbots, have raised fears that AI could soon be used at scale to, to spread misinformation and propaganda or that it could eliminate millions of white-collar jobs. Eventually, some believe, AI could become powerful enough that it could create societal-scale disruptions within a few years if nothing is done to slow it down, though researchers sometimes stop short of explaining how that would happen. These fears are shared by numerous industry leaders, putting them in an unusual position of arguing that a technology they are building, and in many cases are furiously racing to build faster than their competitors, poses grave risks and should be regulated more tightly. This month, Mr. Altman, Mr. Hassabis, and Mr. Amodi met with President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris to talk about AI regulation. In a Senate testimony after the meeting, Mr. Altman warned that the risk of advanced AI systems were serious enough to warrant government intervention and called for regulation of AI for its potential harms. Dan Hendricks, the executive director of the Center for AI Safety, said in an interview that the open letter represented a coming out for some industry leaders who had expressed concerns, but only in private, about the risk of the technology they were developing. 
There's a very common misconception, even in the AI community, that there are only a handful of doomers, Mr. Hendricks said. But in fact, many people privately would express concerns about these things. Some skeptics argue that AI technology is still too immature to pose an existential threat. When it comes to today's AI systems, they worry more about short-term problems, such as biased and incorrect responses, than larger-term dangers. But others have argued that AI is improving so rapidly that it has already surpassed human-level performance in some areas and that it will soon surpass it in others. They say the technology has shown signs of advanced abilities and understanding, given rise to fears that artificial general intelligence, or AGI, a type of artificial intelligence that can match or exceed human-level performance at a wide variety of tasks, may not be far off. In a blog post last week, Mr. Altman and two other open AI executives pose several ways that powerful AI systems could be responsibly managed. They called for cooperation among the leading AI makers, more technical research into large language models, and the formation of an international AI safety organization, similar to the International Atomic Energy Agency, which seeks to control the use of nuclear weapons. Mr. Altman has also expressed support for rules that would require makers of large, cutting-edge AI models to register for a government-issued license. In March, more than 1,000 technologists and researchers signed another open letter calling for a six-month pause on the development of the largest AI models, citing concerns about an out-of-control race to develop and deploy ever more powerful digital minds. That letter, which was organized by another AI-focused nonprofit, the Future of Life Institute, was signed by Elon Musk and other well-known tech leaders, but it did not have many signatures from the leading AI labs. The brevity of the new statement from the Center for AI Safety just 22 words in all, was meant to unite AI experts who might disagree about the nature of specific risks or steps to prevent those risks from occurring, but who share general concerns about powerful AI systems, Mr. Hendricks said. We didn't want to push for a very large menu of 30 potential interventions, he said. When that happens, it dilutes the message. The statement was initially shared with a few high-profile AI experts, including Mr. Hinton, who quit his job at Google this month so that he could speak more freely, he said, about the potential harms of artificial intelligence. From there, it made its way to several of the major AI labs, where some employees then signed on. The urgency of AI leaders' warnings has increased as millions of people have turned to AI chatbots for entertainment, companionship, and increased productivity, and as the underlying technology improves at a rapid clip. I think if this technology goes wrong, it can go quite wrong, Mr. Altman told the Senate subcommittee. We want to work with the government to prevent that from happening. We'll leave the front page now and move to 
uh, this article inside of Section A. North Korean rocket triggers false alarm evacuation alert in South Korea. The North's rocket was said to carry a spy satellite, enabling it to watch its enemies more closely. But it said Wednesday that the launch had failed. Seoul. North Korea, on Wednesday, launched a space vehicle carrying its first military reconnaissance satellite designed to monitor the South Korean and American militaries, South Korean defense officials said, briefly triggering false alarm evacuation alerts in South Korea and Japan. The South Korean military indicated hours later that the North Korean launch had been a failure, saying that the rocket fell in waters west of South Korea after an abnormal flight. North Korea admitted that the second stage of its new Chilima-1 rocket had malfunctioned, sending it tumbling down into the sea west of the Korean peninsula. It said it would attempt another launch in the near future after identifying and fixing problems with the rocket and its fuel. As the rocket roared to the south, an automatic emergency text message told citizens in Seoul to prepare to evacuate for fear that debris from the North Korean rocket might fall on the South Korean capital. The government later retracted the alert. For many residents in Seoul, the launch of the rocket, which North Korea had announced days earlier, caused less alarm than the panic that came after the false alert was issued by the South Korean government, sowing confusion and fear around the city. In Japan, the government sent alerts in Okinawa Prefecture, urging residents to seek shelter inside and away from windows. But just after 7 a.m., the alert was lifted as the government announced the missile was not flying toward Japan. Less than 10 minutes later, the Ministry of Defense announced a projectile had already fallen into the water. The launch on Wednesday signaled a space race heating up in the sky over the Korean Peninsula. The United States, Russia, China, and Japan already have satellites watching the peninsula, one of the flashpoints of East Asia. South Korea recently joined the fray by vowing to place its first military spy satellite in orbit by 2025 and testing a launch rocket twice since March last year. When King Jong-un, North Korea's leader, ordered his country to double down on its efforts to enlarge and diversify its nuclear arsenal during a ruling Workers' Party meeting in 2021, he made it one of his priorities to place military spy satellites into orbit. Spy satellites would make the North's nuclear arsenal more dangerous by giving its military eyes in the sky, military experts say. They would also help North Korea collect data from its missile tests as the country struggles to perfect its intercontinental ballistic missile technologies. But experts have also questioned the capability of the North's prototype satellite, which the North has said would be carried by the rocket launched on Wednesday. The rocket lifted off from a launch pad in Tongchon-ri in the northwestern corner of North Korea. The rocket lifted off from a launch pad in Tongchang-ri in the northwestern corner of North Korea. 
the rocket was programmed to fly over the sea between China and the Korean Peninsula and over the waters east of the Philippines. As the countdown began, South Korea and Japan placed their militaries on extra vigilance in case debris fell on their territories. They both had urged Pyongyang to cancel its satellite launch, condemning it as a dangerous provocation. Washington strongly condemned the Wednesday launch, calling it a brazen violation of U.N. Security Council resolutions. Adam Hodge, a spokesman for the National Security Council at the White House, said in a statement that it risked destabilizing the security situation in the region and beyond. Under a series of resolutions from the United Nations Security Council, North Korea is banned from launching space rockets, as well as testing nuclear weapons and ballistic missiles that could be used to deliver them. North Korea insists on its right to a peaceful space program, but Washington and its allies have long accused it of using such a program as a cover for testing intercontinental ballistic missile technologies. In recent months, Washington and its allies have expanded their joint military drills to help guard against North Korea's growing nuclear and missile threats. They plan to conduct a proliferation security initiative exercise on Wednesday when their navies will practice interdicting vessels carrying materials for weapons of mass destruction to and from countries like North Korea. Last week, the American and South Korean militaries also started the first of a series of live-fire drills planned until mid-June near the border with North Korea. The dangerous military acts by the U.S. and its vassal forces compel North Korea to secure a reliable reconnaissance and information means, re Poing Chol, vice chairman of the North Central Military Commission, said on Monday, revealing the plan to launch the North's military reconnaissance satellite number one. North Korea's space and ICBM programs are closely interlocked. In 2012, months after Mr. Kim took power, North Korea launched a rocket that it said carried a satellite. In a major embarrassment to the young leader, the rocket disintegrated moments after launching. But eight months later, another North Korean rocket flew as far as the Philippines. North Korea last claimed to have launched a satellite in 2016, when its rocket also flew over the sea near the Philippines. None of these rockets were believed to be carrying a sophisticated satellite but their launches showed that the North was making progress in building a rocket powerful enough to carry a satellite into orbit or a warhead on an intercontinental range. The country conducted its first ICBM test in 2017. North Korea stepped up its space and ICBM programs after Mr. Kim's diplomacy with President Donald J. Trump collapsed in 2019. When it tested rockets off its east coast in February and March last year, it claimed to have done so to prepare to launch a satellite. 
But South Korea accused the North of testing a rocket for its new Swasong 17 ICBM. In November, the North conducted its first successful test of the Swasong 17. In December, the country conducted a ground test of a new solid fuel booster rocket, a major upgrade in the North's ICBM program because solid fuel missiles are faster to launch and harder to intercept. In the same month, North Korea launched rockets that the South called missile tests, but the North said were tests of satellite launching technologies. In April, North Korea conducted the first flight test of the Swasong-18, its first solid-fuel ICBM. We'll remain on the inside of Section A. The title of this article is DeSantis, Wading into Debt Ceiling Fight Puts Pressure on Trump. So far, Ron DeSantis and Virek Ramaswamy are the only Republican presidential contenders to weigh in on the recent deal in Washington, but others could yet join them. The decision by Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida to oppose the debt ceiling agreement struck by Speaker Kevin McCarthy and President Biden injected presidential politics into the fraught effort to raise the government's borrowing limit, further dividing the Republican Party and pressuring other White House hopefuls to join the fight. Our country was careening toward bankruptcy before the deal was struck, Mr. DeSantis said on Fox and Friends on Monday. And after this deal, our country will still be careening toward bankruptcy. Congress has just days to raise the borrowing limit before the government goes into default on its debt. That would most likely set off a global financial crisis, which would call into question the full faith and credit of what has been the world's safest investment, U.S. Treasury bonds, and potentially start a recession. Treasury Secretary Janet L. Yellen has predicted that the extraordinary measures she has used to pay the government's obligations will be depleted by June the 5th. Mr. DeSantis's broadside comes as Mr. McCarthy is trying to round up Republican votes to approve the deal this week. The first test will be Tuesday when the House committee that sets the parameters and instructions for floor debate is set to report out the rule for the debt deal. The deal sets aside the statutory borrowing limit for two years, ensuring the issue will not reemerge before the next presidential election while imposing some caps on spending and some additional work requirements for food stamp recipients. But those concessions to the GOP are minuscule compared with the wholesale rollbacks of Biden administration policy envisioned in a debt ceiling passed by the House. A few hard-right conservatives have already come out against the deal, and on Tuesday, a more moderate Republican, Representative Nancy Mace of South Carolina, announced that she, too, was a no, a bad sign for the deal. Democratic votes will be needed to pass it, but the work requirements and a green light in the deal for a West Virginia natural gas pipeline are likely to turn liberal Democrats against it. That makes Mr. DeSantis's opposition more significant. 
So far, former President Donald J. Trump, the frontrunner for the Republican presidential nomination, has stayed quiet. Mr. Trump has been kept abreast of the negotiations by Mr. McCarthy, whom the former president has called my Kevin and has kept as a close ally. But as Mr. DeSantis, his closest competitor, tries to outflank him on the right, Mr. Trump will face pressure to follow the Florida governor's lead, especially if far-right Republicans make good on threats to end Mr. McCarthy's speakership over the deal. One of Mr. Trump's loudest surrogates in the House, Representative Byron Donalds, Republican of Florida, has already come out against it. This concludes the reading of the New York Times for today. Your reader has been Mary Sue Hoskins. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions concerning this program, please feel free to call us at area code 859-422-6390. Thank you for listening, and now please stay tuned for continued programming on Radio I. Other Republican presidential contenders have stayed quiet, holding their fire with the vo- 